Welcome back, everyone, to the Risk Intel podcast, powered by SRA, where we share risk intelligence from experts across the banking industry. I'm your host, Ed Vincent, Executive Vice President at SRA. Hello, welcome back to today's Risk Intel podcast. Please join me in welcoming Amitav Bhargava. Amitav has a distinguished career in the risk space which includes working as a commercial underwriter at ICICI Bank, followed by 18 years at Capital One, where he oversaw credit analytics and research for Capital One's consumer and wholesale portfolio, and supervised executive credit risk assessment and portfolio modeling for both Capital One's wholesale and retail portfolios. Now as head of the credit portfolio management practice within SRA's credit consulting team, Amitab advises in a number of areas, including how to identify forward-looking indicators using economic, sectoral, and competitive analytical frameworks. Welcome, Amitab. Thanks, Ed. Your current area of focus on forward-looking indicators is the topic of, of today's conversation. So let's start by digging into the state of consumer lending and specifically drilling down into the credit prospects for auto lending. So what behavior and trends are you seeing in the consumer lending space today? Absolutely. Uh, as all of us know, and I would say as Fed keeps on seeing that in spite of all the rate rises they are doing, consumer still is holding strong. And if you look at consumer, we look at multiple metrics. How are they spending? How's the employment doing? How's the incomes and wages? How's the wealth? What kind of debt they are carrying? and what's that confidence and sentiment that they have. If you look at all these things, the spending is still continues to be pretty good. And partly because employment is in uh, fairly good shape. Uh, the unemployment rate is almost near a 50 year low. Uh, incomes are fairly strong because employment market is fairly strong. Uh, and the wealth uh, indicators are pretty good because the stock market is doing okay. Uh, the home prices, they haven't buckled. And more importantly, the excess savings that folks have because uh, during the COVID times, there was so much fiscal distributions to uh, consumers. They didn't get to spend it a lot because you couldn't step out of your house. So uh, all of that is sitting, was sitting on uh, their bank balance sheet. And that's been spent down, but it's still a sizable amount is still there. Primarily, now, if we break it out by different income cohorts, then one would say that maybe the top 20%, top quintile, uh, that's holding most of those excess savings. The bottom 80% has almost spent it out. And that's why we, are seeing somewhat of a dichotomy in credit performance and consumer credit that in subprime area, uh, we've started seeing some buckling, yeah. uh, whereas the prime superprime area continues to be fairly strong. So if you drill down from there, right, that's the consumer landscape broadly. Um, there are subcomponents of that or components of that. Take us through what what the some of the larger components are there. I know auto lending is a, it's a particular yeah, area exactly. that you spent some time so focused. If you think about the entire consumer lending in US, it's nearly a sixteen trillion dollar market, okay. a big number, right? Okay. So uh, 
Uh, and about three-fourth of it, 75% of it is unsurprisingly mortgages and HELOCs. So mostly, you know, housing related kind of lending. One-fourth of it is non-mortgage lending, which is split about 35-35 between student lending and auto lending. And the rest of it, a substantial part is credit card lending. Uh, so auto lending is a big component out there. Yeah. As uh, most of us are aware, in a student lending, there have been a lot of you know forgiveness, forbearance of interest, and so on. So the metrics that we see in student lending, they're not truly reflective of credit quality out there. But we are definitely seeing some rise in delinquency rates, role rates in the auto finance market uh, over the last 12 months or so. So that's uh, what we are going to take a little bit more into. Okay, so let's un let's unpack that then. Let's go a little bit deeper, right? You, you've given us the the breadth of that consumer landscape. Let's get into that that auto space in particular and, and understand what the implications are for the, you know, for the for the trends within that auto space. Yeah, so if we look at the auto lending market, uh, it's obviously driven by what's happening in availability of autos. Yep. And uh, in terms of, if you look at the supply demand scenario for automobiles since COVID, there've been a lot of disruptions which have occurred. Uh, obviously during COVID, there was trade had suffered. So uh, a lot of components because auto market is one where the supply chains extend all across the globe. And it did impact yep. that more importantly in the area of uh, chips. Mm -hmm. um, and because of lack of those semiconductor uh, chips availability, uh, the entire supply of new vehicles, it's not yet recovered fully. It's incredible how those chips, you, you're not aware of it, but they really control everything in the vehicle, right? So it shuts Absolutely. down the entire yeah, we were talking on, uh, we are recording ourselves on this, uh, you know, video camera or use our smartphones. So frankly, those chips are driving the world right now. Yeah. Um, and some estimates say that because of the toned down production, the globally about 10 million less vehicles were produced during COVID times. Now, they are catching up, but still the production is not back to pre-COVID level. And that is impacting a lot of things out there because when there aren't enough vehicles um, being sold as new vehicles, there is a lack of availability of used vehicles a few years down the line uh, because all the uh, you know Avis and Herds car rental companies they they are not selling those vehicles as right. they would typically. And those vehicles coming off lease, there there's fewer of that. Maybe people are holding exactly. on to them, right? Yeah. So that is causing prices to rise. Um, and that in conjunction with higher interest rates, which are triggered by you know, Fed policy, uh, obviously that's gonna have a big impact on affordability of those vehicles by people. Um, so that, how is that being mitigated? And that's being mitigated by all the lenders by further stretching out the terms of auto loans. Okay. Um, it used to be in olden times, you know, three to five years, it became five to seven years, and now seven years seems to be the norm. So the average term of a new auto loan or even a used auto loan uh, is almost between 66 to 70 months now. Uh, as we know that 
the longer the term of credit, the more the uncertainty around it, because uh, you, you don't know what happens to the consumer and uh, the conditions that they would face over the next five years, six years time period. And that elevates the risk for lenders uh, quite a bit. So that's uh, one piece of the puzzle, but also there are so much structural changes happening in overall automobile market. Uh, as you would know, the EVs are the big norm. And I guess uh, Tesla's Model Y, last I read, was one of the highest selling vehicle uh, these days. How is it sold? It's sold directly from Tesla, the manufacturer, to the buyer. There is no dealer intermediating the thing. Whereas the conventional auto finance market, it's dominated by indirect auto lending, which means selling through the dealer. Yeah. So there are, uh, and most of the banks and credit unions uh, in US, they operate through that indirect auto lending market because they don't have the wherewithal to do direct lending as large uh, banks like Chase or Capital One, uh, et cetera, would do. So the indirect auto lending market overall is facing another structural change. So it's uh, serious disruptor there. Serious disruptor out there. Uh, and that gets us also into, while we are talking about EVs, uh, the big thing is about residual car value. Uh, because if you, God forbid, the borrower doesn't pay you, you got to repossess the vehicle yeah. and you sell it in the used car market. Uh, there is a long-term kind of data on how internal combustion engine vehicles, their values, depreciation works over a period of time. There is little, very little known about EVs. Yeah. Uh, so that also you know, is an additional source of uncertainty uh, for lenders in this market. So with that uncertainty, right, duration, disruption, um, you know, lack of historical data, um, well, how do the lenders then react uh, and how do they how do they respond in, in a situation like this? I guess uh, the best thing to do would be in current environment when they are seeing that the credit quality, which has been very stable uh, practically since 2008, and that's buckling. Uh, it would behoove them to do a stress testing of their portfolio. Uh, I would say well, what is really required is a proper risk assessment and a risk assessment exercise which spans multiple types of risks, be it a strategic risk, interest rate liquidity risk, credit risk, uh, ESG risk, which is increasingly important, compliance risk. And that is where SRA a watchtower could be a really useful tool where there are libraries of various risks and risk indicators, KRIs, KPIs out there. Uh, and one could use a very systematic format rather than reinventing the wheel ab initio uh, at their end. Right. That bottom up, bottoms up you know, long by long, you know, analysis of the portfolio and then the top-down look at, at risk, you know, across across the organization. Exactly. Uh, as I mentioned, a big component is strategic risk because uh, we talked about all these big structural changes which are occurring. 
uh, and in order to because you you may book loans right now one of the things with auto loans is these are fixed rate loans uh, you are booking those loans at a particular rate right now and when the interest rate environment was low interest rates as we've had for a long time it didn't necessarily matter what kind of FTP practice various banks, credit unions had. Now, what kind of liquidity risk, interest rate risk management they have, that also becomes relatively important. Uh, so having access to, in a way, what are the various sources of risk that could impact your portfolio, uh, and then using all those KRIs, KPIs to you know, conduct a proper stress test or scenario analysis of your portfolio to wrap your heads around uh, how much the losses of provisions could rise in a worst case scenario. Uh, and uh, maybe collaborate with, think about what are the action steps one could take. Uh, you could potentially, you know, lay off the risk uh, sell part of the portfolio, change your underwriting standards, uh, or uh, collaborate with other players in the market. So uh, I think it is the right time for a lot of banks and credit unions to take uh, mitigating steps and look into their auto portfolios. Oh, it's a fascinating appreciate the data-driven aspect of this conversation and and really turning you know the eyes from hindsight to to insight to foresight and looking forward here right these these indicators in particular in the in the in the auto lending space clearly you know portend some you know, some difficult times ahead or at least some different times ahead and so being understand you know able to understand the sources of risk looking at those, those different scenarios and coming up with mitigation strategies are, are great guidance. So thank you very much for the, those thoughts today. We thank you. It. Yeah. For more information on SRA, please visit srarisk.com. Watch or listen to our weekly Risk Intel podcast series or follow us on LinkedIn to learn more.